Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Damian. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work for social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table, discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. Yes, we want Interdependent Study, this podcast, to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Mm. And Aaron, my friend, you're up this week. Yeah. What have you brought to the table today? Yeah, um, I'm bringing an article. Um, It's called How Germany Remembers the Holocaust. Um, It was written by Clint Smith. Mm -hmm. uh, It was published in The Atlantic um, just this month for the December 2022 issue um, as the cover story. Yeah. Um, And so it's it's an exploration of the memorials and work done to remember what... um, Hitler's Nazi regime did to systematically kill millions of people. Um, Clint Smith did this in the context of having written a book about how poorly enslavement is memorialized here in the U.S. Yep. Um, and how, you know, that memorialization happens mostly as monuments to Confederate soldiers or in distorted or incorrect landmarks. Right. Um, And so this led him to consider how the Holocaust is memorialized in Germany um, as he explored this in two trips to Germany Mm -hmm. um, and then wrote this cover story article for The Atlantic. Uh, So he explores the origins and meanings of several kinds of of monuments or memorials, um, some museums. Um, So those range from small plaques that are built into cobblestone streets um, to the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe, which was approved by the German parliament uh, following several years of organizing from people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot here, and it's, yeah. it's really heavy, yes. I think, um, as to be expected. Um, and just considering the scale of the people who were murdered uh, by the Nazi regime uh, and the human element of what people must have had to go through, um, which Clint re- spent some time reflecting on that too uh, yeah. in, the, in the article. Um, there, there's just a lot. Um, yeah. So yeah, w- where do you want to start? Yeah, the heaviest, I think, really a great word for it. Um, it's it's also a very long piece, which makes sense that it's the the cover story for them. Um, I I think he. Um, did such an incredible job with this piece. I liked it. I appreciated it so much. I thought this was really thoughtful and comprehensive and mm-hmm. um, and actually really compassionate. There's 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 a level of compassion and humanity in this piece that I I, I really loved and um, I think we can take away from this. So um, I'm I'm thrilled to be able to talk about this piece today. I I learned so much from it um, and it was really really moving and um, you know I think. Where I want to start is I think one of the most compelling arguments that Clint Smith presented in this piece that I think encapsulates why this was an important exercise for him to engage in and for us to talk about was mm-hmm. the recognition and, and acknowledgement of the fact that, you know, many Holocaust survivors will soon no longer be with us. Yeah. Right. And so the question there is like, how will Germany and how will all of us continue to tell their stories, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How are we continue to share this important history? um, Even though, as you said, it's heavy, it's, it's a difficult history to share. Yeah. Um, And so I think, you know, to me, there's just no argument against the importance of doing that work. And so Clint Smith um, did a great job talking about 
and examining how a parallel exists here, as you alluded to, between what Germany has done and, and is doing to what is really necessary here in America and why that work is is necessary, right? Right. Um, and so there's a quote that I wanted to bring here. He says this in the essay, and I thought it really just summarized, um, summed this up really well. He says, quote, In recent years, Americans have seen a shift in our understanding of the country's history. Many now acknowledge the shameful episodes of our past alongside all that there is to be proud of. But reactionary forces today are working with ever greater fervor to prevent such an honest accounting from taking place. State legislators across legislatures across the country are attempting to prevent schools from teaching the very history that explains why our country looks the way it does. School boards are banning books that provide historical perspectives students might not otherwise encounter. Many of these efforts are carried out in the name of, quote, protecting children, of preventing white people from feeling a sense of guilt. But America will never be the country it wants to be until it properly remembers what it did and does to black people. Yeah. Right. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> you said it. You said, yeah, like that's yeah. so good. Right. Like and I, I think this idea and he refers to it as public memory, like these notions of public memory of reckoning, um, of education, right, are so vitally important at the core of the work we believe in for so many reasons, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's um, that quotation is something I also I also highlighted as yeah. I read this um, so story, and it just points out so much of what um, I think is the core yeah. uh, of this article and why yes. it's so important. Absolutely, um, and so. I mean, sort of talking to that is I think one of the things that I really appreciated is the way that he captured the nuance in the memorials. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as is the case with almost everything, uh, memorials, um, these memorials in particular, mm -hmm. carry different meanings and interpretation for different people. Right. Um, the Stolperstein, um, mm -hmm. the cobblestone brass plates that memorialize individuals um, who were uh, kidnapped and murdered during the Holocaust, um, tell a poignant story about the individual people. Um, and as they, as he points out in the in the story, they give that point of reflection um, of comparing your own story, your own life, to that of somebody else. Yeah. Um, but another aspect of this is they're also on the ground so people yes. are stepping on them mm -hmm. uh and that was specifically critiqued by Deidre Berger um who's the chair of the executive board of the Jewish Digital Cultural Recovery Project Foundation Ooh. um and so she shared that um on one side it's great yeah. the communities are coming together to research their history um, because that's how these things are installed is that you know, uh, an apartment complex or a block in a neighborhood might do research on who had lived there and right. who had been uh, murdered. And then that's shared with um, uh, an artist who has, is developing or is creating these hand um, etched um, plates yep. uh, to install them. In the stands, um, yep. And so she says, it's great that communities are coming together to research their history but she also finds them being stepped on unsettling. Yeah. Uh, she said, every time, quote, every time I cringe, uh, they should be plaques on the wall. And why aren't they? Because most of the owners of buildings wouldn't accept, even to this day, a plaque saying, here is, a, here is where a Jewish family lived. Um, so it points to this complexity of emotions about these memorials and that they are both powerful and meaningful um, to a lot of people and 
imperfect. Too, yeah. Right. Um, and so I thought that the way that he weaved that part of the story throughout is um, was just really powerful. Yeah, I agree. I think, and there's other examples of that throughout the piece too, this yeah. idea that sort of every single memorial that exists, there are, are some, there is some thinking um, to sort of, you know, on the other side of it, right? And um, uh, and so, you know, what does it mean to do this work and to um, create these opportunities for for learning and for understanding and for, you know, memorializing what may happen, but also trying to reckon with the idea that some people will have issue with it, right? And, yeah. and I think in some ways legitimate concern and issue with it, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. um, so uh, I did appreciate that. And like I said, there's there are many moments throughout this entire piece where he talks about and shows us an example of a memorial and then sort of what the um, – what the critique of it might be. Um, yeah. That's important to sort of consider as we do this work, right? And as we do sort of anything, I think, right? Mm-hmm. That's why it's important to have a diversity of voices and perspectives and when you're doing any kind of meaningful, impactful work um, to sort of understand, like, are we missing the mark here? This is what we're trying to do. Does that come across? All of that good stuff. So, um, yeah, I did um, very much so. I appreciated that. Um, so, I mean, th- I can't. I can't even fathom how much of this uh, or express how much of this stood out to me, um, how much stood out to me from this piece. But, um, you know, Clint Smith shared the story of uh, Dachau. Am I saying that right? I believe, right? I believe it's Dachau. Um, You know, and on one hand for me, it was the fact that it went from being one of the very first concentration camps that the Nazis built um, to today being this memorial that people from all over the world come to visit, right, and to learn from and to to pay their respects. And I think that's uh, – it's mind-blowing to think about, right, mm-hmm. like the sort of the evolution of this place, this space. Um, and, and, I, and I think it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really moving and powerful way to engage in this public memory exercise, right, yeah. um, and, and education that I sort of talked about earlier um, – but then on the other side of that, right, it's the story of how this place came to be the memorial that it is today that was wild to sort of read about. And it's a story I didn't know, right? And so, you know, I certainly knew about the horrors committed at Dachau and other camps like it, right? Um, Clint does a great job of sort of letting us know that, you know, it's estimated that 42,000 people were tortured and killed there, which is just sort of unfathomable to think about that kind of a number. And even in the context of understanding that we're talking about 6 million folks over the course of of the Holocaust. Um, But what I didn't know was that American soldiers had brought local leaders from the town just one town over mm-hmm. to to bear witness to the remains there, right? Because from yeah. their viewpoint, it seemed like people in the in that town, just one town over, were just living life <laughs> d- despite or or even possibly in ignorance of the atrocities that had happened there, right? Yeah. And 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 that spurred the creation of this memorial that exists there now. And and I, I don't know, I had to sit with that for a while, like this mm-hmm. idea that. Um, I, I thought it was just a really compelling story, and it's partly because I didn't know that history at all about the American soldiers' intervention there and the work that they did um, alongside the town and, and whatnot. But I think there's a lot to learn from it, and and I I also think that anyone who understands grief knows this as well, right? Like um, the, the world will always continue to spin <laughs> despite yeah. whatever tragedy is visited upon you, right, or your family. 
or in this case, millions of people. Um, but like, even as the world continues to spin, we, we have to continually confront and share these histories so that these sorts of horrors um, and hopefully the conditions and, and the mindsets that got us there don't happen again, right? So there was yeah. just so much to learn, I think. I mean, there's so much to learn from all of this, but there was so much to learn from that um, that story um, for me personally, and I, I just connected with it a lot, and particularly in thinking about, as I sort of process it for myself and thinking about grief and this idea of like, this thing happened over there, right? But we yeah. are living our life over here. Um, yeah. It's important to be able to do both. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I think that um, that story about the soldiers, um, you know, they they brought local people over um, to the camp, and I think over makes it sound like they traveled. Yeah, and, and um, I yeah, it was um, you know, uh, there's no there. It's hard to imagine that they didn't know what was happening yeah in that space absolutely. given um you know forty two thousand people being tortured and, and murdered there um and then uh, burned yes uh and so that um yeah um that's something that you notice notice um, yes, given your happening to in it. your in your backyard literally and, um so there's a there's that element of as you said just continuing on with your life and what is that what what does that do to a collective people too? Mm -hmm. Like thinking about that. Oh yeah, um, that's a great point a, as well. Um, so yeah, that that story was really um, moving as well for me. Um, so another piece of this that I want to talk about that I found okay fascinating. I yeah. guess is the right word. But not really. Yeah, um, <laughs> is how we remember people and how often we can. Um, memorialize mass murder and violence through the lenses of tragedy mm -hmm. as if that tragedy tells the entire story of the people um, who were targeted. Mm, okay. um, so to quote from the article, the memory of Jewish life in Berlin is not singularly tied to the spectacle of mass death. There is a museum that attempts to ensure that German Jews are remembered as a people with a rich culture and not only remembered for what was done to them. Um, and so I want to think about that in the context of, you know, the U.S., like how we tell the story of the systematic violence of enslavement and the intentional genocide yeah. of the indigenous people here, um, how we tell that story matters. Um, and we have to recognize the stories beyond that violence, too, of those people who um, were the targets of that violence. Yeah. Um, because you know, there's this dynamic that is mentioned in the article about how people interact with Jews as murdered people and that their murders happened so that it could teach us something. Um, and I think we have that dynamic here in, in the U.S. in, in, in different ways as well. Um, you know, specifically, we frequently talk about indigenous people in the past tense as if they're no longer here mm -hmm. at all. Um, and so that that's a piece of this that I was I found really um important to to reflect on yes um and something to be cognizant of as we move forward with memorializing these atrocities and and you know um, creating public memory um, and also exploring ways to actually address that violence and harm through um you know um reparations or, or whatever that might yeah. look like yeah um there has to be a, a um 
I don't know, a holistic approach to all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a balance in that work. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. Right. Um, and I, I appreciate the connection to sort of what our context is here in, in the United States and particularly thinking about the, the ways in which we talk about indigenous folks. I think you're absolutely spot on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a great connection there to what Clint brought up um, and experienced um, and learned about um, in his, yeah. in his journey there to what is happening here. Right. Um, Absolutely. Indigenous people are here now, right? Mm -hmm. And there's much we can learn from from them uh, living with us right now. Um, And we need to think about the ways in which we we speak about people and histories um, for sure, right? And I think that's part of what we talk about here about this learning and unlearning work that we're doing, right? Um, And so one of the other things that, that, that stood out to me, and particularly when I think about this idea of learning is you know this piece for me drummed up some of the conservative arguments that are taking place in this country around Mm -hmm. you know this idea of protecting our children and and thinking about and trying to control what it is that children are learning in schools you know and yeah you know and those arguments are bs right and Mm -hmm. and have um alternative intentions to what is being presented on the surface about them and so um i I couldn't help but be moved by reading about the history and the presence of those stumbling stones that you talked about earlier and, um, you know, sort of all throughout Europe um, to memorialize the Jewish people who lived in these spaces and then died by Nazi hands. And um, uh, connecting the threads there, Clint Smith quoted the artist who created the movement that has become the installation of these stones, Gunter Demnig. Um, And so here's the quote. Demnig has said that this is the most meaningful aspect of the project for him. He believes that for children and adults alike, six million is too abstract a number. And individual stories are more powerful tools than statistics for coming to terms with this history. And he says, sometimes you need just one fate, he has said, to start thinking about how someone's life relates to your own. Maybe they lived on your street or the same age you are now when they were murdered. Those are the moments I know uh, will go home as different people, right? Mm. Um, And so, and he says, I'm sorry, he goes on to say, each stone creates its own unofficial ambassadors of memory, right? Mm -hmm. And I I think that's powerful for so many reasons, (laughs) right? And I think we could spend so much time talking about it, but I think it's a great illustration of, um, and there's so much to, there's so many ways we can analyze this, but where I went was, I think there's, so much that our children are capable of learning about, right? Um, and and why we have to dismiss that conservative argument and narrative and the efforts yeah. taking place to eliminate the kind of learning that's necessary for in schools and beyond, right? And for us to keep learning about our history in this country um, and and how it has gotten us to the place that we are now. So um, yeah. yeah, there's there's. There's so much of that learning work that's so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the books that frequently gets targeted is Mouse. Oh, uh, yeah. Which, yeah. Um, you know, specifically is, I think, one of those stories. It's one of those fates. Yes. Um, there's, you know, many people who are represented in that story. Um, um, but that, I think that connects directly to that quote about absolutely. You need those individual stories, and they're more powerful um, than statistics, right? Um, and they can then get you to the place where you can then start to understand 
the the gravity and the right. scale and the six million of it all, right? Yeah. Um, or the and and you can apply that to any sort of horror, um, mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, you need that mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about application. How okay. does this um, fit into our day to day lives? How do we connect that? Um, my application, I think, comes directly from the article. Okay. Um, so I'm going to quote. Americans do not have to and should not wait for the government to find its conscience. Ordinary people are the conscience. Um, we, that's end quote, um, <laughs> we have the conscience and we can lead. Yes. Um, just us regular folks. Absolutely. Um, and there are examples of this happening. Um, you know, Brian Stevenson and the memorials to the victims of lynchings yes. um, that he's working on. Um the Witness Stones Project, which is inspired by the Stolperstein Project and creates markers to, quote, restore the history and honor the humanity of people who were enslaved. Um, so, you know, we need this push, um, continued push from people um, to find ways to remember the history of violence in enslavement and the the genocide of the indigenous people um, and, and how those things continue today to influence, you know, the world around us. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's where my application is is like we have the conscience and we have to hold that. Um and I think part of that is um you know, connected back to that quote you shared each um each one of those Stolperstein create an unofficial ambassador of memory. Yes. Um and I think to a certain extent we need to figure out how we do that for ourselves too here. Um yeah. I love that. I really do. And I I love the shout out to to Brian Stevenson there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've engaged with some of his work here uh, as well. I I this whole entire piece is is application, right? Everything we've talked mm-hmm. about today. Um, there's so much from this piece that has direct applicability to particularly some of the conversations we've had here on the show and um, and some of the analysis that we've talked about. I think also just relates to how we believe in social justice, right? And the work we want to do and the opportunity to engage in that learning and unlearning work, as I talked about earlier, right? And so, you know, I think for me, anytime we have the opportunity, like this essay provided us to continue our learning about a time in history, like the Holocaust, even how heavy and horrific it was, right? I think what we can continue to remind ourselves of and take it away from it is just how important it is to recognize and honor and embrace each other's humanity, right? Mm. Um, and that conscience you talked about, right? And and to fight for the ability for each of us to be able to live freely and fully in that humanity without fear, without hate trying to diminish or attack it, right? Um, and so I think we need essays like this one, and I'm so grateful that Clint Smith did this work. We need memorials and sites and museums and libraries and installations and 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 the like right um everything we read about in this essay for that work to continue right and yeah. for us and for our conscience as you as you so uh, beautifully described right to be reminded of that right mm-hmm. and to confront it and to do something about it so yeah i'm i'm grateful for this piece yeah absolutely um All right, well, let's talk about homework. Um, How do we continue to learn about this after we wrap up our conversation today? Um, So I want to read a book um, that was referenced in the article. Um, It's written by Dara Horn, Mm. um, and it's called um, People Love Dead Jews. Mm. Um, So it reflects on 
how the author continues to be asked to write about dead Jewish people in the wake of a tragedy um, and is never asked to write about living people. Mm, um, yes. And um, so a part of, I think I referenced this, the concept here a little bit earlier. Absolutely. Um, when I was talking, but that that was a specific uh, book that I, I think I want to add to the list. Yeah. Um, and this article also makes me want to move Clint Smith's book, um, How the Word is Passed, up the reading list as well. So, um, you know, maybe bump a few things off off there to move it up a few notches. Absolutely. Yeah, how about you? Absolutely. Yeah. I I think there's some great you you compelled me to 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 think about this a little bit more, right? This idea and what I guess Dara Horn is talking about in this book, this idea about, you know, how do we acknowledge <laughs> the the humanity of living folks, right? And their mm. current experiences and what we can learn from them. And um, so I'd, I'd love to read that book. I, for me, I was thinking uh, alongside you at the end there that I want to read Clint Smith's book, How the World is Passed. And I think there's been so much, uh, so much, so many amazing things said about that book, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he did really incredible work to analyze and uh, his visits from historical sites here in the United States and how those sites yeah. reckon with and, and fail to reckon with their relationship to slavery. Um, and so I think there's a lot to learn there. And um, if his if his writing is anything like it was in this essay, uh, I'm game. So, yeah, yeah, let's 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 move it up the list. Yeah. All right. Sounds sounds great. Um, well. Uh, so I think that's it for today. But uh, Damien, you're up next week. Yeah. Um, what do you bring to the table in our next episode? Absolutely. Um, all right. So I'm going to bring an article to the table for us. Uh, it is called Democrats. Democrats. <laughs> those people. Democrats can't be counted on to stop the MAGA right. So socialists are stepping up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was written by someone named Christian Hernandez, uh, and he serves as the chair of the National Political Committee of an organization called. Democratic Socialist of America. Um, So this piece that we are going to read was published just a couple of weeks ago in the aftermath of the midterm elections by In These Times magazine, which, of course, we've read stuff from them before. They are an independent nonprofit media magazine focused on democracy and and a really a range of social justice issues. And I just think they've published some really great stuff. So Mm -hmm. um, I, I haven't read the piece in full yet, but it seems to be an exploration of some of the outcomes of the midterm elections, both in terms of who got elected and like what ballot measures got passed um, and certainly what it took to get to this place in the various cities and states and, and elections across the country. Um, yeah. But I think the the crux of this piece is all about what these results, what this newly elected um Democratic Party and and, and folks um, could possibly mean for and, and what they should do now to seize the moment uh, and push and the momentum, if you will, and, mm-hmm. and push for real change in this country, particularly in thinking about the MAGA right, right, and mm-hmm. the the red wave that wasn't. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to reading this and talking about it with you next time. Yeah, that sounds really great. Uh, looking forward to that. I think it's it's. Um uh, you know, important for for us to recognize the ways that um, you can't you can't push against um, extremists with like the the you know the center that Democrats usually try to occupy. Yeah, um, it, that's that's not really how it works usually. Yeah, so, yeah, and it's certainly not working anymore. Like yeah, you know, so we have to recognize that and 
And now what? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, well, looking forward to reading that and talking about that here uh, next week. Um, but for now, we want to thank you for joining us today for listening to Interdependent Study. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share our podcast with people in your life, um, all of them. Uh, follow <laughs> us on social media and sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. You heard him. He said all of them. All of them. Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.